So I just dropped my kid off at school, and I was biking west on 44th Street between 9th Avenue and 10th Avenue in the inadequate painted bike lane that exists there. But I was whizzing by car after car after car until the traffic got so bad mid-block, the one lane of cars moved to two lanes of cars. And I found myself directly behind a car, and I, I groaned to myself, as I usually do in that situation. And then I realized that the car in question was a convertible. And I could just speak to the people. And it was two guys sitting in the front seat. So I just said, excuse me, you're blocking the bike lane. Would you mind moving just a little bit? They turned around. They apologized. and said, oh, oh, sorry. Yeah, no problem. And they moved two feet. And I went by and I said, thank you on the way. And it made me realize that the biggest problem with cars is that they're isolation chambers where everybody's locked off in their climate-controlled environment with their radios on, not paying any attention to anyone else. And if every car in Manhattan was required to be a convertible, I think we'd have a lot more empathy from drivers and a lot better communication. I also think a better solution would be to ban all cars in Manhattan. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we've, that would be easier. Yeah. That's an extreme escalation from everyone has to have a convertible to just ban all cars. Right, I think I love just it. skip to plan B. Yeah, yeah, plan B, go for it. That is Charlie Todd, the founder of Improv Everywhere, and this is The War on Cars. In this episode, the lighter side of the battle for public space. I'm Doug Gordon, safe streets advocate. I'm joined by Sarah Goodyear, a journalist who often writes about transportation. And next to me is also Aaron Napperstek, the founding editor of Street Squad, and I guess uh, our four-star general here on The War on Cars. I, we're all generals in The War on Cars, although maybe I'm an admiral. No, no. Oh, okay. You're in the Navy. <laughs> you're in the yeah. Navy. You're the, 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 the water-based. <laughs> you're the war on boats. Well, I'm going to take charge here. Doug, did you see that someone tweeted the picture of the war on car sticker on a city bike? Yeah, that was great. Although I'd say it's a little bit like friendly fire. You know, you should probably <laughs> probably put that stuff on a car, a car bumper. Are we, are we encouraging that? Are we, we encouraging are, a war on cars vandalism at this point? Our, I've spoken to our to? attorneys and they have advised us not to encourage war on car vandalism. But if you want a sticker, if you want any of our other rewards or a sticker, you can visit thewaroncars.org. You can click on Donate and check out our Patreon campaign. Your money helps us keep the podcast going and getting better and better. Yeah, and this month we have a new reward for one special generous supporter, and it is a Cleverhood. Um, Cleverhood makes special rain gear for biking, um, and they have donated one of their Clever Zipster rain capes in electric blue uh, for us to give away via Patreon to, to one special donor. Um, they're waterproof, breathable, um, they look really cool. They have amazing kind of, you know, when you get hit by a car headlights, they they reflect really nicely. <laughs> I thought you were going to say when you get hit by a car. <laughs> when you get hit by a car. Yeah, they have airbags. No, yeah, just don't. the fashion you want for when you're Very hit by a car. <laughs> exactly. You can be, you're, the people who pick up your body can use the, it as a, as the a makeshift stretcher. Well, he's dead, but man, look okay, how stylish stop, he is. Please, Where this became a really bad it's Clever, really dark, Cleverhood ad. Dark, sorry, Cleverhood. Sorry, Cleverhood. Sorry, Susan. You can get one for yourself if you uh, support the war on cars on Patreon. So go get it. Thank you very much to Cleverhood and everyone who um, helped us uh, secure that nice gift. Okay, so that voice you heard at the top of our show belongs to Charlie Todd. Charlie's a longtime performer at the Upright Citizens Brigade here in New York. He's also the founder of Improv Everywhere, a comedy collective that stages unexpected performances in public spaces. And some of you may know Improv Everywhere from the annual No Pants Subway Ride, 
But Charlie has created dozens and dozens of events, or missions as they call them, using the city, streets, sidewalks, parks, and even the subways as kind of stages for these missions. Charlie, thank you so much for being here. Uh, thanks for having me, longtime listener. So Charlie and I were emailing uh, in advance of him coming on the show, and I was sending him kind of just like a broad outline of what we were going to talk about, but uh, and Charlie sent back some great examples of Improv Everywhere missions that they had done. Um, but one thing that he had asked for, Charlie, one thing you had asked for was, um, can I please have some time to rant about <laughs> cars? Which you kind of did in your opening story, but we'd like to give you more of an opportunity to do that. So, Charlie, you, you have the microphone. Uh, I, I wasn't requesting like a solo rant. I just wanted to make sure that I didn't only have to talk about myself, but I could also talk about how much I hate cars, how much I hate free parking, how much I hate the fact that the cops in front of the precinct on 54th Street park their vehicles right in front of the precinct on the sidewalk where I can't get by with my stroller every day. I think that's it. I think that's all I want to You've come to the right chest. place. You, to talk you're about in a safe things. space here to <laughs> yeah. talk about this. Yeah. We were talking about this, Aaron and Sarah and I, before that we often say that we're weird, right? Like we walk through the city and we see a row of parked cars and we think that could be a bus lane or that could be a bike lane. We see a sidewalk with parked cars on it. We say, well, that could be widened and that could be a parklet. But you also walk through the city with a kind of weird point of view. And I kind of want to figure out, like, where does that come from? How did you cultivate it? The big breakthrough for me was City Bike. I lived in Queens for a while in Astoria, and I, I owned a series of like $50 Craigslist bikes that would get stolen every three months and I'd have to buy another one. Um, and that was just to get from where I live to the to the subway stations of the last mile problem. But I always just assumed like, there's no way I can bike in Manhattan. You know, I moved to Manhattan in 2004. It's like, I would never bike here. That's insane. It's only those crazy messengers that bike. And then they, two things happened. They built the protected bike lanes and City Bike came around and I signed up and it completely changed my life. And I just immediately became so much more aware of the problem and started to get radicalized. And then talking to you and following you on Twitter, and listening to this podcast in recent months, I'm just more and more awake uh, as I walk down the street and realize why why are there two rows of parked cars on these side streets in Hell's Kitchen? They don't need to be there. And another thing that completely changed my life was getting a bike and getting a child seat. Um, and, you know, that's radicalized me as well. But I, it just completely opened up the city for me to be a, my, my son was a little more than one at the time uh, when we got the, the bike seat. And all of a sudden I could take him to every park in Central Park. Yeah. You know, it just unlocked the entire city. Have you ever gotten any pushback, um, any of you, like, from from friends saying, like, how can you ride with your kids? Or even drivers. Drivers, like, guilt you for, like, how dare yep. you take your kid down 44th Street on the back of a bike? Yeah. I'm, the, the day I bought my bike, and I, I bought it home for the first time and was putting my kid on it, and my downstairs neighbor at my old apartment, who was a nightmare person, just walked by and looked at me and said, you're going to let him get on that bike with you? And mm. I just, you know, I just looked at her and said, yes, I am. And smiled. <laughs> yeah, and, you yeah, know, yeah. she walked away. It's like. Yeah. Right. And yeah. uh, while, of course, the truly dangerous thing that people do every single day with their kids all over this country is they put them in a car. But nobody wants to talk about that. Nobody ever says like, wow, you put your kid in your car and you drove them on the highway. You're not going to hear that. But that's it's kind of what I'm talking about. It's like we are it's weird that we are the weird ones. Yes. Like, right? Yeah, like, we're so the weirdos. We're the weird ones because to go four blocks to school or 10 blocks to a playground, you're going to just toss your kid on the back of the bike and just go straight up or down the avenue. Yeah, it's it doesn't make any I don't know how you break free from that, which is one of the reasons I wanted to have Charlie on because I feel like part of what Charlie 
does with Improv Everywhere is gets people to kind of break out of their regular patterns and stop and look at the city in a different way. Do we have a clip of any of Charlie's stuff we can play or can we? I think we should play the um, the the WeWork one that you just did, the phone booth. Cool. So the, the WeWork, Charlie, do you want to explain this? this I thought this was yeah. great. Yeah, it's really good. So, so our one of our most recent projects uh, was called Phone Booth Coworking, where I, I worked with street artist um, Jordan Seiler, who is uh, an amazing activist. Who his crusade is against outdoor advertising, particularly focused on phone booths, payphones. Essentially, the eight thousand payphones that we have in New York City are just advertising structures that people use as public urinals, primarily because the payphones be aren't really even working anymore and everyone has a cell phone and everyone has a cell phone and um you know even even those who cannot afford a cell phone and do need to use a pay phone we don't need six on every block in the city which is what we have so jordan um replaces the advertisements with art um Mm. and it's it's really great what he does um and there's a whole movement anti-advertising movement and anti-outdoor advertising movement um so we worked with him to replace the ads on one of the phone booths uh and replace it with a fake ad for a service called WeWork Street. We added uh, desks to the payphones and two nice expensive office chairs and uh, had a representative from WeWork advertising this new $400 a month outdoor office. (laughs) Hi, would you like to try our office today? Is this actual location? Yeah, WeWork Street. So what are you selling? I'm trying to figure it out. Well, they're available for rent, but you can either rent it for 300 a month for yourself or 500 a month for the two of you. You're renting out. Yeah. <laughs> no one really uses phone booths yeah. anymore. They're just kind of decrepit places for advertising. Yeah. yeah. Exactly, yeah. We are turning phone booths into co-working spaces. It's wonderful. Oh, it's wonderful. Oh, I'm so glad I you love, love it. I love the idea. I wish they would put Wi-Fi. They have Wi-Fi. Not only do we offer Starbucks Wi-Fi, because we have a partnership with them, and also their bathroom codes, we also offer total privacy between you and the next person. Have you heard of an open floor plan? Yes, this is way open. Yes, it is. It's better than floor-to-ceiling windows. It's sky-to-ground windows. (laughs) You're literally sharing your office with everybody else. What I love about it is where you say at the very beginning of the video of this, it says, you know, not authorized by... uh, (laughs) anything or anyone. And there aren't that many places in the United States of America where you could do what you do. Is that no. true? Yeah, no. Uh, all of my friends have moved to Los Angeles because they're, they're TV writers or actors. And um, and I've stayed here because the Improv Everywhere exists best in New York. You have to have public space. You have to have you know foot traffic. There's no real way to do a big you know community street level event in Los Angeles. I mean, there's like three places maybe, and right. two two of them are outdoor malls. Um, this might be our second episode where, where we're we just get, rip on Los Angeles. Get angry tweets from people <laughs> yeah. in Los Angeles. Like, hey, yeah. we have Santa Monica. That <laughs> right? Okay, that's one. Venice, Venice Beach. Yeah. Yeah. Venice Beach. That's the other one. Yeah. And then there's the Grove. <laughs> yeah. Right. Charlie, have you ever heard of an event called Parking Day? I love Parking Day. You do love Parking yeah. Day. Yeah. yeah. So that that's when one day a year people sort of reclaim parking spaces and so often put down like AstroTurf and turn it into like a little private park. Yeah. I feel like in many ways, parking day, the first parking day, which happened in like September 2005, I personally view it as almost the start of the modern livable streets movement in that there were a bunch of people at that time in 2005 in different cities and especially in New York who were all trying to think about how to start to reclaim public space, street space from cars. And there was this real burgeoning movement 
and people, you know, coming up with like white papers and studies and research and all this stuff. And then this design group in the Bay Area, you know, the rebar group, went to a parking spot in downtown San Francisco, popped some quarters in the meter, rolled out some grass sod, put down a bench and a potted tree and sat there for two hours. And the photos of this project went viral Mm -hmm. in the fall of 2005. I just remember a bunch of us were just like, oh my God, this is it. Like this photo, this describes what we're trying to do better than any hundred page research paper that we could possibly put out. There's so much power in action and just going and doing something. And, you know, the Improv Everywhere projects that will stage, you know, a dozen people could see something that we do. Uh, you know, or one subway car full of people would be impacted by something we do. But we know that the, you know, the life that it's going to have online and the impact that it can make is, you know, so much exponentially larger. I mean, there's an interesting question, though, when, when you get into this question of what, how the government should be regulating public space, right? Where, for example, the the WeWork Street Project, like what if instead of, you know, a well-dressed woman offering $300 a month for a desk at a phone booth, it's a couple of homeless guys who have decided to pull up into that phone booth and make it their space for, you know, basically they're their sort of like quasi permanent working space and they've got like their bags of stuff and they're like, you're, you know, do you want that? Is that okay? Is that an okay use of public space? Is that um, right? Or Showtime, the the other exactly. big contentious thing that we've argued about. Um, Sarah's very pro Showtime. I, Showtime, I, we should explain for listeners who aren't from New York, <laughs> is. A bunch of kids will get on the subway, usually like high school age kids will get on the subway and just kind of announce it's showtime and we'll turn on some music and do a whole dance routine, usually four or five kids using the subway poles, using the handles. Um, And some I happen to love those things. I I I think I'm pro showtime. I I love I I love it. I think Curtis and I are very anti showtime. Yeah, Yeah. Curtis and and so people people feel that it's intrusive. That sometimes that the guys are whipping around the poles in such a way that you know they might endanger people who are just trying to sit there and enjoy themselves. But here's the counter argument to that because because I I the it sounds to me very similar to the argument people have against bikes. Um, you know the the elderly woman screaming at the community board who's like a bike almost hit me a bike whizzed by and almost hit me and you know to me it's like well did it no it didn't yeah. well how many people died by cars you know last year and to me maybe the showtime complaint has a little flavor of that of like these guys almost hit people well they usually right, don't right. yeah and but i i I, I have to be pro Showtime because right. you are Showtime. <laughs> you are Showtime I'm, with, I'm, with a know, whole website behind. Yeah, it. I've yeah. De- delivered thirty pieces to a train car. I've turned a train car into a talk show. I've created a sleeping car where I put ten cots in a, in a <laughs> subway uh, car and had people in their pajamas. I've done whatever I want but to. That's on, kind on of like cars. an interesting comment on like homeless guys sleeping on the subway, yeah. right? Like you're. I mean, there's something. I feel like there's something inherently very political about that. You know, or we're, using we're those new, about that right now, those new, you know, the new version of phone booths, which are those weird, ridiculous link NYC, link NYC internet kiosks, things yeah. that use God knows how much energy and and whatever, and and a lot of homeless people do use those as yeah. de facto but look, offices. I I kind of feel like the subways shouldn't be used as sleeping places and the subways shouldn't be used as performance spaces that, that basically I want the subway to be a public space where, you know, any New Yorker can essentially, you know, transport themselves from one part of the city to another 
peacefully in quiet, minding their own business. Um, and I, I get that, you know, and that's very stodgy. That's a very stodgy. I'm I not... mean, I think there's a big difference between having someone who's clearly in distress, um, you know, having to sleep on the subway and someone coming on and playing a guitar or doing a dance or, you know, to me, that's just part of the subway. The subway is sort of like a moving street and the same way that you would have a busker on the street, you... Yeah, but a busker on the street, you can walk past. Like on the subway, you're essentially essentially sardined in with this person. You don't really have a choice. It's certainly a captive audience. And and it's certainly a captive audience that I take advantage of a lot. Um, But to me, it's very important that whatever we do is that there isn't, it is an opt-in. Like if you wanted to keep your headphones in and play Bejeweled on your phone and not look up, you, you, you can do that and... Damn it, he knows me. <laughs> <laughs> I always think that that's kind of the fun of some of the Improv Everywhere videos is that like you have literally Darth Vader chasing Princess Leia through a subway car and the very New York reaction actually is the guy who doesn't look up right. from his phone yeah. and it's like, or like eating, you know, drinking a Coke or whatever. And like, it do, doesn't phase them in the slightest. I yeah. always think that's one of the best parts of the video. And that's, that's been New York forever. But I'm, I'm curious how much like your stuff comes from a political perspective, you know? So it sounds like the WeWork Street Project did have a real political, there was like a little bit of a critique in there, you know? I'm yeah. curious how much of your stuff is like that, or if it's just like, this would be fun to do. Not much of what we do is is political at all, but the the WeWork Street project did have some critiques, or one, I guess, a critique of the absurdity of the rise of co-working and that how WeWork is expanding into like, you know, dormitories and WeWork can control every waking hour of your life. Um, There was a little bit of a critique there. And then I just personally, my, my, you know, two crusades are outdoor advertising and um, anti-car right now. So <laughs> so I let a little bit of my opinions on um, you know, outdoor advertising around payphones into that video. But in general, Improv Everywhere is focused on just sort of happiness for happiness sake, comedy for comedy's sake. But there's an underlying political message to Improv Everywhere, which is don't ask for permission. Go out into your community and express yourself. Mm. Yeah. There's so many rules and regulations in the city. And in order to stop critical mass, they, you know, started coming up with crazy laws like, you know, the parade permit law, where you can't have more than a certain number of people assembled together. And I just I just ignore all that stuff and go have fun. And and I think to me it's really important for citizens to realize that public spaces are for them. The sidewalks are for them, the the streets are for them, public plazas are for them, and that you shouldn't have to get a permission from the government or from a privately owned public space or from anybody to go to go express yourself. One of the things I think is really important for advocates, for people listening, is that a lot of what we're talking about is breaking patterns. You know, that like you commute on the same subway line every day and you take the same escalator up every day and it's like there's a certain amount of drudgery to it or you walk down the same sidewalk every day and you see all these cars parked along this uh, along the sidewalk and there's you don't really even think there's anything you can do about it but in improv everywhere's case like one day you're on that escalator and there's a guy at the top giving out high fives and it kind of changes we'll put a link up to that actual mission in our show notes but it changes your perception it breaks your expectations and with parking day i think it's exactly that it's like the pattern here is every day cars flood our downtown they park along the street they sit there for hours and we think nothing of it but we're going to take like four people put them on a patch of grass and pops and quarters into the meter and we've suddenly broken the pattern of what that is for and i think advocates could use that a lot more like you said we're so focused on policy on electing the right people on getting the right laws passed but a lot of times you just got to get out there and and say no this actually the street could be 
could be better. I think one good example of that is I I participated in a couple of transportation alternatives actions over the last year or so, and they they did a couple of human powered bike lanes. And I, yeah, the people protected bike lanes. People protected bike lanes, and yeah. they, they did one that I was a part of on Fifth Avenue, um, where it was uh, several hundred people who showed up, and we all just like linked arms and made a protected bike lane. And I, I brought my four year old and our bike and our child seat and. Um, selfishly i broke away from the from the um people protected bike lane to ride in it and you know it was just so much fun fun. to take my kid down fifth avenue and people were cheering and giving us high fives and you know it's it's something that that he remembers and and we'll we'll bring up you know we'll be on a street trying to get from point a to point b where we have to briefly leave a protected bike lane and he'll say daddy they should do one of those protests here charlie you mentioned critical mass which for listeners who don't know is you know Masses of cyclists taking over streets, usually chanting really loud, a lot of times having noisemakers, but riding their bikes up and down streets, blocking car traffic and taking them over. And it's towards a positive end to reclaim streets for people who aren't in cars, but often would have negative outcomes. Like people would get arrested, cops would just like sweep everybody up. Related to your work, like is there is there ever a fear when you do some of this stuff that there's going to be a negative reaction, that the police might respond in a way? How do you prepare for that so that it doesn't tip over into negativity? Yeah, well, we even though we do a lot of unauthorized projects, particularly in our early days, um, I've always you know made a point to not break the law. Um, we we've broken a lot of retail store policies. We've had nine one one called at us called on us in a couple of different retail wow. stores. Um, I've broken noise ordinances. I guess I guess that's the law. Um, but yeah, in general, I just try to make sure that that we're not breaking the law. But I think critical mass is really interesting because it is a parallel. It is people coming together. It was sort of you know a flash mob before flash mobs existed. Because mm-hmm. I remember critical mass was in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, where I went to school in the late nineties, um, and I, I remember. I biked back and forth uh, to school. Uh, this is my senior year in college. So I, I, I was a cyclist, but at that time I was in my car and I was heading to a theater rehearsal as a drama major. And there were 100 bicycles in front of me. And, you know, I was 30 minutes late to the rehearsal that I had to be in. And I was livid. I was really mad about it. But I, I it's interesting because I think like parking day is an example of showing people how things could be better. Like you see that grassy space in a parking space and your eyes are sort of open. Whereas for me, at least at the time, critical mass, like it, it failed to get through to my 21 year old brain that like these guys are showing a better future here. Cause all yeah. I, all I was seeing is I'm 30 minutes late. I think what you're talking about too, as an advocate, so many of us are focused on uh, death, on preventing injury. And in a way that's kind of a negative uh, message, right? Like we don't want any more dead people. Well, you know, no driver really wants more dead people and they don't think that they're going to be responsible for killing anyone else. So if you can present a more positive vision of the future, that's not focused on just preventing death, but actually like here is what this space could look like and it's better for kids. Right, you're and sort of like being the change that you want to see in the world. It's like here we could do something different. It's painting a space. picture. It's not the absence Together. of something. Like Vision Zero is a, is a policy that's basically what would Vision Zero look like when it's done? It will look like no dead people. But what does that look like? Whereas a more livable city where kids can cross the street themselves to right. go to school. Well, it looks like it looks like a lot fewer cars. It looks which is like, why I'm just like, yeah. why don't we just talk about making there be fewer cars right. in the city? But that's but that it's, it's, a, it's a happier city. It's a happier, more fun, cleaner, more enjoyable city where people can have more enjoyable interactions and just enjoyable walks down the street. 
and spontaneity and interesting right. things Improv, happening basically in space. Yeah. where you can really stop and have a converse, conversation mm-hmm. with someone yep. where you can kind of yes and your your daily existence like yeah. like you said oh there's a performance on this pier up here i'm going to actually stop now because why not what do right. I have to lose? Let's see where this goes. Yeah. So yeah. Improv everywhere is the future of the city. It could be. <laughs> it could be. Yeah. So a lot of what we're talking about is kind of tinkering around the edges, right? Like take a parking spot here, reimagine a public plaza there. But obviously the stakes these days are really high. Climate change, uh, you know, all the traffic problems that we have. What would be kind of the ideal improv everywhere style mission that could really take things to the next level. Like, you know, I was thinking, how would you disrupt a highway? You know, if they wanted to widen a highway, how would you stage something that would make the point that that's not going to work, that that's, that that's going to be destructive? I don't know. It's a tough nut to crack. And there's obviously been lots of great activism um, on the topic of climate change. And I, I also really respect critical mass, too. Um, you know, I, when I was 21 years old, they, they annoyed me one night, but I, I see the power in what they're doing and drawing attention to, to the problem. Um, I don't know. I don't know what the, what the big mass action is. Um, I think there's a lot of power in small things. I think there's a lot of power in, Doug, what you did in creating a bike corral in front of your kid's school. I think there's power in people who paint their own bike lanes, um, people who sort of hack and alter the city in small ways for good. And not just the action of doing it, but publicizing it and, and inviting other people to do the same and everybody sort of coming together. In terms of sort of large scale things, one project that also really spoke to me was the the Yes Men and an activist named Steve Lambert did a project called uh, the Fake New York Times mm-hmm. years ago. Oh, yeah, that was amazing. It was, I think it was 2012. I was on their brainstorm team a little bit, but didn't have too much to do with it. Um, There's a, a big community of people came together for that. And it was, I think it was the day after Obama got reelected. They passed out like tens of thousands. I, mean, I think that the press release, they maybe said 100,000, but they passed out a lot of newspapers. Like everybody when we was coming up from the subway, you know, in the commercial areas in Man- Manhattan received this newspaper that had the news and it was dated like six months in the future. And the headline was like Iraq war ends and, you know, it was climate deal reached. There were all these like, you know, aspirational things. And the message was like, this could be the newspaper if, mm-hmm. if you want it. If we want it and if we work towards it, it could be this. So I do think giving people a positive view. And I know I know that we're in a climate emergency and the reality of people dying in the war on cars is real. But I think trying to do it with humor and giving people, you know, uh, opening people's eyes to what could be, I think is important. Okay, but, but I have a big idea. Go for it. So there's something like 65 total lanes of traffic coming in and out of Manhattan I forget the exact number, but it's somewhere in that Between bridges and tunnels? Yeah, when you count all the different bridges and tunnels. So all we have to do is we get like, I don't know, it's like 130 cars, and we we put them in position on all of the bridges and tunnels at the exact same time and just stop them in the middle of the bridge, in the middle of the tunnel. Everybody gets out of their car, and they got to be wearing something good like clown suits or something like that. (laughs) There's got to be like some uniform. And then you just take the keys of the car, you throw them into a sewer grate, and walk away. <laughs> and it's like, good. you guys want cars, you want traffic, you got it. That Here sound, you go. That sound you hear is the NYPD opening a file on Aaron <laughs> Aperstick right now. I think they already have the file. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, so that's right. That's the question is like, where's the balance between <laughs> pissing people off yeah. to no end, tons of negative headlines, 
And the flip side, which is we hear, you know, if you commute into Manhattan, like, oh, actually, it was quite lovely. There was no honking except for the distant sound on the bridges. You know, um, where where do you draw the line? I guess I, I don't think that Aaron's idea would probably be a very have a very positive outcome um, just because I think it would just make people angry. I mean, I guess didn't work I, for Chris Christie, I should say, you know, by the way. I yeah, keep going point. back to like World War II efforts to get people to change their behavior in terms of like when you drive your car, you're driving with Hitler or whatever, that kind of thing. And and trying to sort of make people realize we are all in an emergency together. This and people react really well it, when they're in an emergency, like the truth of of disaster management is that there's not usually chaos and looting and horrible things happening after an emergency. What happens after an emergency is people usually come together. I think that as the emergency continues to become more real to people, my hope is that it's going to be easier to appeal to people's better spirits and say like, you're driving, but like that's killing everybody around you or to find some way of motivating people that way that that you know oh you're a good citizen if you don't use so much plastic or whatever i do think that it was successful during world war ii and i i mean we are still human animals that that respond to those kind of behavioral stimuli and i maybe that is where there's a, a positive I don't have a particular action, but that that type of action, I think, might well, help. Well, I would say what people really respond to is money and their pocketbook. So just get congestion pricing. Well, that's yes. yeah. too. I'm all for that, man. <laughs> yeah. Charlie, thank you so much for coming and, yeah. and yeah, joining thanks, us. Um, thank you, guys. I, just, really I love everything that you do and have learned a lot from you, so I really appreciate you being here. Um, if you want to learn more about Charlie, about Improv Everywhere, you can go to improveverywhere.com. You'll see lots of the videos that we talked about, some of the missions that we talked about here. And we want to thank our listeners for making the first eight episodes of The War on Cars a success. I feel like it's been a big success. I'm really excited. People listened and, and are listening. And our plan is to come back with more episodes in early 2019. Um, and we're going to be trying new stuff. So if you have any ideas for shows or guests, or if you'd like to ask a question, or if you'd like to complain about something, we want to hear from you. Email us at thewaroncars at gmail.com. Or you can always find us on Twitter because we're all pathetic Twitter holics. At the War on Cars is the official account. Yeah, the hardest thing about doing the show is not being on Twitter for I the know, time that we record. Like an hour and a half. <laughs> How do we manage? Crazy. Yeah. And don't forget to support us on Patreon by going to thewaroncars.org and clicking on donate. And thanks again to the law offices of Vaccaro and White for all of their support this year. We really appreciate it. We also need to thank some of our other Patreon sponsors, Adam Weneman and Melody Bryant. Um, that's actually one of our other benefits. You can get your name read on an episode. So check out our Patreon page and you too can have your name read in the credits of a future episode. Also, head on over to Apple Podcasts and rate us and review us, especially positively. That helps people find the show and hopefully will get us a few more foot soldiers in the war on cars, a few more uh, admirals and generals. In the war on boats. Yeah. (laughs) 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 This episode was recorded by Peter Carl. Our producer is the amazing Curtis Fox. The music is by Nathaniel Goodyear. Danny Finkel of Crucial D did our logo. I'm Doug Gordon. I'm Sarah Goodyear. Aaron Napperstack. And I'm Charlie Todd. And this is The War on Cars. This is The War on Cars. (laughs) 
We're this is do- the war on cars. We're going to do that every time. You do You do a beep one. This is the war on cars. Oh, wait. No. <laughs> this, <laughs> this is the war on cars. Ooh, that's kind of a sexy. That's the war on cars after dark. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's the Robin Bird war. That's it. <laughs>